Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 388 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. Three. In this episode, I chat to Benjamin Russell about their dexterity. 388. Sorry. Yes, about their dexterity-based puzzle adventure game, The Morning Star. It's an iOS and Android game, this. We don't feature many of those in this show, which is a bit odd. Because that platform, that place, still has games in it. They're not just all Match 3 games. They're not. There are actually really innovative and entertaining games, and one of which is The Morning Star. It uses, well, basically like a sling thing, where you're, like, you're swinging the... The, the star around and deflecting blocks and all sorts of other things as you're moving across the screen with your finger. And it works exceptionally well on both a tablet and a phone. And I just reached out to Benjamin and said, this game's kind of cool. Want to come on and the show and chat about it? Even though it's episode 388. I might have mentioned that once already. And he said, yes, amazingly. And this is the result. So sit back and settle in for a nice chat with Benjamin about the Morning Star. Chris, from the not-so-distant past, take it away. Ben. Hi. Who are you? I am Ben. What... Oh, ben, who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name's Ben Russell, and I um, sort of do my own little solo indie game developer uh, thing. I've just released my first game and I'm um, currently prototyping for the next one. That's fantastic. And this is why I brought you on. Um, we don't do a lot of mobile games on the show, I've noticed. We do a lot of uh, console and PC games, but I was talking to a friend the other day and says, Chris, you don't do... Have you looked at the mobile space recently? He said, not really. It's full of full of uh, match threes. Like, yeah, it used to be. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It used to be. Um, but it's st- they're still there, of course. But uh, it's... It, there's going places. We'll talk about that later. But before we do, this is your first title. So how did you make your, your start making making games then? Oh, should we start like from the very beginning? Or uh, like... Yeah, we, we do go way back. We have people talking about, you know, making games within their mother's, you know, womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I think it all started, um, you could even say with like the educational kind of games on like Windows 95. Um and I think that really um, might have been the start of it because then I I went on to download um, this like the old um, classic game maker, um, not like the game maker we have today, um, but it had the sort of like um, relational sort of programming where you're placing these um, symbols down instead of uh, programming, and it made it very 
it was a great intro to programming and I just had a lot of fun with it. And I just happened to be the sort of person that I uh, really enjoyed. Like instead of playing games, I'd be spending as much time uh, creating my own little things. And it was really a great um, intro um, to computer science because um, that's what I ended up doing for college. And uh, the first few years were a breeze because I felt like I was, I'd already sort of treaded in those waters. Um, and then I graduated, um, had a couple jobs um, in the field. I never, um, it was mostly QA, didn't really get into the uh, full programming like I wanted to do. And of course I live uh, up in Maine, uh, of the corner of the United States, for those of you who have <laughs> understandably not aware. Um, and there's not a lot of uh, those technical jobs up, up here. And so, and just because I wanted to, um, I was already starting um, a family um, with my wife, Katie, and we, um, and so basically the thing kind of came together where it made sense to um, see if I could make it, you know, working for myself. And um, so I, over the course of maybe four years in my part-time, um, when I had time, I I was working on the Morningstar. Yeah, so, um, and I, I chose mobile, um, like you mentioned, uh, mobile devices, because mm. it, um, kind of a small platform, it made sense for a, a small uh, game that one person could create most of everything for. Um, and I thought there was a lot that could be done on a mobile device, um, as opposed to just like the Match 3, the Bejeweled, the Angry Birds of the world. I think there's a lot more creativity out there where is what you mostly see um, would be the uh, the micro loot box, um, everything going on there with uh, microtransactions and everything. Um, I just wanted to... Um, you know, try something very creative, and it was it was a hoot um, doing digital art. Um, I actually painted the sort of intro sequence, uh, a bunch of paintings that kind of uh, does a slideshow effect mm. for that. Um, the sound design, I did contract the music for it from um, right. uh, Jen Chu Chen, um, and he, he was really great to work with. And I kind of gave him my vision and all the theming and the story that's going on. And he um, really delivered a soundtrack to match that. Mm. Um, so that was a really cool experience. First time I've ever, you know, contracted something. <laughs> and it's also wonderful that you finished it. This sounds really patronizing to long developers, <clears throat> but the act of me finishing a game it often comes up in the show. But it can't be understated that the act of actually completing a release is no mean feat. It really isn't. Um, and they're, it's so easy to go. You know what? I could go back and just just tweak that a bit. And uh, but you have to embrace the concept of it's good enough. Definitely. Uh, you know, another sort of classic thing is always go small for your first game. Like yeah. you can never yeah. underscope. And I knew that going in, and yet I still I feel like overscoped it and end up taking a long time to to finish. Um, didn't put everything that I had originally intended. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I really just I had a passion for it and really worked through that second half of the game. Um, well, it worked for Atari. You think about it, Pong. I mean, <laughs> it can get more simple than that. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> just, just stick, you know, tennis. Okay, 
go with that. Because they actually started with something that was really complicated, which we'll circle back to later on. But yeah, they eventually <clears throat> dropped down to Pong because they started with Space War, which no one could understand. Uh, but <laughs> um, So, next question then. This is a bit open-ended and nebulous, but considering sure. the subject matter we're going to be talking about today with the Morning Star, you're probably quite comfortable with this subject matter. What do you believe are your biggest influences as a creator? And as a creator, I um, science fiction definitely um, literature has been huge for me. Mm. If I hadn't gone with computer science, I think I definitely would have been um, gone uh, creative writing. Um, and even now, it's something that I really enjoy, and I got to do for the Morning Star, and I always want to. I think all my games are probably going to end up being science fiction, just because um, the the postulation about uh, the future of humanity and our place in the universe is just uh, an endless well of, of inspiration, creative thoughts for me. Yeah. I do get the, get the feeling of Arthur C. Clarke coming out a lot of your stuff uh, on, on well, the morning star is just that, that sense of majesty of the magnitude and the sheer size, if indeed the universe has a size, let's not have that discussion. Um, <laughs> uh, just the, the, the vastness of it all, the cosmos, and what you know, you read about all oh, these two galaxies are colliding. Really? Totally. They're colliding. Yes. Right. What happens then? Bad things. <laughs> and I understand we're on a collision course of Andromeda, but we've got, we've got a few billion years yet before that happens. But um, Andromeda being the, late, the nearest uh, galaxy Toro. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, is that an accurate re- you know, response? Have you read his work or is it someone else you've oh, read? Oh, Arthur C. Clarke? Hmm. Uh, a little bit. Um, I think in the classic era, mainly Isaac Asimov um, read yes. a bunch of him. Mm. Um, Me too. Me too. Um, yeah. Like Neuromancer. Um, so we're getting into that cyberpunk area, which is kind of relevant for my next um, game idea. But um, so there's a lot of science fiction for um, that inspires me. Um, I'm also really interested in the idea of taking things that aren't games um, at all, like um, ideas from real life, and sort of like how can that be an inspiration for a game? Because mm. most of um, most of the same game design is, you know, taking this game and that game or, um, you know, sort of mix and matching what's come before, um, in game, like, um, the most popular games are often sort of just have that strong lineage of, uh, what's come before and what works. Mm. Um, so I find it very interesting. Like, um, Pikmin is one of my all time favorite games. And that was a game about gardening, um, <laughs> and a, and a yeah. tiny spaceman, and and he's he's his attempts to leave. It's like, yeah, so that science fiction pokes its head in everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like what happened if Kerbal Space Program wasn't nearly as brutal as it is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just lands in a garden. It's all right. Your ship doesn't explode and kill everyone. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, no, it's just really, that's, that definitely shines through from the first game from the Morning Star. So, yeah, definitely, uh, it's, a, it's a, a bottomless well of, of inspiration that the, the universe itself almost and where we're going and where we've been 
exactly. I, I really, I'm kind of an artist at heart. Um, in terms of that, I'll, I won't be happy unless I'm creating something. Yeah. I have something always working in the back of my mind. Um, yeah. but also that I want my, my games as art to potentially, you know, have more meaningful of an Im- impact on someone than just hitting those dopamine receptors, you know? Well, quite. Although there's a place for those things, of course. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. But- yeah. Next question, then. Um, what developer did most admire in the industry and why? Um, I think I'd have to say... Um, um, I might just butcher this name right now. Uh, no, Bennett Foddy. Okay. No, I'm talking about... Um, I've had a lot of inspiration from him, um, primarily because he's also a solo develop, uh, developer um, that has found success, and that's something that I would love to replicate. Hmm. Um, I, I don't envision myself in a large company in the future, maybe right. working for myself or with a small team that we can do very, like, we, that's not going to get too muddled by, you know, designed by committee and those sorts of things. And also... Um, it was a sort of inspiration for just putting my name out there as like that. This is my brand. I'm not gonna like um, Donkey Fish Productions. I'm not gonna you know slap some random name and put that as like um, the creator of of a game. Uh, as long as it's primarily me creating, I want to. It might as well be you know my face on there, and you know um, people see who who actually made it. And for the benefit of the audience, what kind of titles has he made? Have they made? Sorry. Oh, sorry. What was the question? That what titles have, has the has they, have they made? Oh, Bennett Foddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting over it with Bennett Foddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, put his true. name right in their title there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a pretty popular one recently. He also made a uh, Quop. Um, yes, the terrifying Quop, the game that. Uh, yeah, it it came out at sort of the same time as. Um, Mount your friends, didn't it? That kind of idea of yeah. And talking about inspiration, those sorts of flash games, I I played tons of those back in the day. Right, right. It's such a shame that that uh, that whole community died with Flash dying, but uh, yeah, that's one of the. They went somewhere. I think they went off to to Unity and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, and and I mentioned Game Maker before, but I am um, I do develop with Unity. Just Mm. found that it was a good platform for that I could create something and then had like um, easily distributed both to Android and iOS. Yeah. And so it's a very flexible platform. Yeah. Yeah. Quop was a very special title. It's a good shout. <laughs> good shout. Yeah, it's just like you're, you're meant to be frustrated by it. That's what made me chuckle. So last question then. We kind of hinted at it, I think, in the uh, virtual green room earlier on. Um, but uh, I think I know what the answer to this already. And it's fine because... Contemporary at the time of we're recording this show, it's kind of the game everyone is playing. But anyway, I'm going to ask you it. What are you playing right now, Ben? I uh, I often pick up uh, Rocket League. That okay. is a, yeah, we often come back to that. Um, so I'm perpetually rusty at it. I, yeah. I'm typically kind of like a Diamond League player, so I have mm-hmm. some skills, but I'm perpetually rusty, and so I'm never right. doing that well. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, just you know, soccer with rocket cars, great concept, executed yeah. well. Um, but most recently I've got 
you know, almost 100 hours into Elden Ring. It and is. that has been uh, is amazing. And I haven't bounced off of it like previous um, Soul series. Right. So I feel like, you know, oftentimes going open world um, with a game that can just sort of make it more vapid and um, just open and re- repeated content. Um, but they really, it, it just works so well because you can get stuck somewhere and then you have this whole rest of the world to go explore. And even I get frustrated one night, the next day, I'm like, I should probably pick up building. I should play more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's been eating into my um, development of my next title, but it, it's a really um, incredible experience. Yeah, I think it's quite daunting when you first, the mere fact that the tutorial bit is in a pit behind you, like, is it the pit down there? Like, I'm not going down there. Because I played Souls games, like I'm not going. I'm, but I went through this whole loop that if you played, you know, I've been playing them since Kingsfield, for God's sake. But you know, I'm like, oh, hang on, do, do, do everything you know, everything you know about all other games does not apply. So park that. Now, where's the best place to find your most helpful place? Of course, the most darkest, dingiest place you don't want to go down. The pit behind you. Yeah, you they know. made it pretty easy to miss. <laughs> you know, so it was wonderful, like, getting all those tips. And there are wonderful tips there. I highly recommend it that you go yeah. down. But I've, And also that wonderful moment where, I, you know, they get little messages across, like the graffiti of the world. Yeah. I would say 70-30. 30% terrible, bad advice. But thankfully, you've got a 70% go, actually, this is quite sound. And you know that there's right at the beginning, it's not really a spoiler, everyone, but right at the beginning, there's this sort of castle sort of gate with a little sort of, um, encampment of soldiers outside. And uh, basically, the, the, the fires, if you will, uh, are, I know they're called that, but they are these central sort of focal points, these, these, these floating gems. They are pointing through this gate. You need to go through that. And you try to go there, and this dirty great giant that blows you away and smashes you and stuff and uh, I saw a message this is the gate this this is the big moment for me in Elden Ring everyone has their own moment in Elden Ring this was mine (laughs) and it was basically said run (laughs) 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 what just run and that was that was the it's all right just run I went oh yeah I just I'll just run and I I got my horse because you get an ethereal horse which dis- which appears beneath you. No, you don't call it. You have to go find it. No, it appears beneath you, and you just go okay. I just belted and I ran, and I this thing went nuts. The, all the soldiers went nuts, and but but they gave up. They gave up. And yeah, we that, just run right past them. <laughs> you just run past them. I mean, yeah, I went back and eventually, and then you know, vengeance. But <laughs> just go, yeah. Uh, this, this, this is you know, at the time I was only like level eleven or something. It's really pathetic, and it's like, yeah, yeah, very I near the start. I, yeah, I can't, I can't really hear anything here. Uh, but no, that for me, and it just breaks every rule, and it's wonderful, and it rewards just perseverance and discovery, and just settling into the world, and every. You try. You think you have the lexicon of the environment of the game itself, and then it rips the rug underneath your legs. No, no, no. You think you got this, but actually, no, you don't. And that's good, because when it happens, you don't feel frustrated. You think there's more to discover. There's more to know. And that's that's really treating the audience with respect 
And this was definitely. And yeah, some of the mechanics and systems are pretty um, black box, kind of not intuitive um, and not spelled out for you very well. But that's it. Almost works in the game's favor because it really adds to the the community aspect of um, learning secrets and how things work and the kind of uh, nature of the messages that you can leave um, both often lead to useful hints and a lot of humor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just going back to the Rocket League thing, have you tried the uh, mobile phone version? So here it's very good. I actually just learned that that exists. Um, <laughs> I saw it the other day um, on, on a stream. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, look, it looks pretty cool. Like uh, they've once again taken, they've yeah. even, they made it even simpler by removing a dimension. Yeah, that's very cool. impressive. Very impressive. Right. Well, that's the end of the first half. See, you made All right. it. Well that was done. easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike certain bosses in Elden Ring. But let's <laughs> um, let's move on to the second half of the show where we is this the right word? Delve deep? No, I'm going to say expand into. Hey. <laughs> Expand into the morning star. Very nice. So, Ben, before we do that, I need to know what the Morning Star is. Now, for listeners, the spelling is in morning as in morning someone's passing, not the morning of the day or the beginning of the day. But yes, so that when they look for it on the on the on the iOS or or whatever application they're using, of its um, Google um, stuff, um, Android, I should say. Yes, it's morning as in someone's passing. So, the yeah. Morning Star. What is it, Ben? Uh, the morning star well the high sort of concept about it um, is that the universe currently as we know it as far as we know uh, is expanding um, and one possible ending for it is that uh, it's called the heat death where basically entropy continues on until you know the stars are all dying out um, and change um, there begins to be less and less of change in the universe as things become sort of static and basically dead. Uh, so the idea is that when there is one star left, there is this sort of cosmic ritual that takes place uh, where uh, everything is sort of sucked back up into a singularity again, to a single, like, infinitely small point um, to then uh, everything to restart again uh, and into another Big Bang. And... Uh, the gameplay takes place in that sort of shrinking period where everything's being brought back together. And you're taking this last star and you're smashing it into asteroids. Um, you're lighting gas giants on fire so they explode, kind of like um, like oil barrels in the first-person shooter. Um, and so we have this grand cycle going on. Um, and each star kind of represents um, another part of the story that's parceled out and these stars form constellations and each constellation is its own little kind of sci-fi short story um, which is experienced by our main character uh, Dea uh, D-E-A-H and 
they are sort of this mysterious entity with amnesia who is suddenly given the power uh, uh, to restore the entire universe. So you're sort of going through with her, or sorry, pronouns thing. It's it's just an entity, so it's kind mm-hmm. of more of an it, really. And um, yeah, it's it's basically quite deep astrophysics um, because yes, the if you apply the rule, the rules of entro- rules of entropy, um, eventually everything collapses in on itself after expending all the energy because there's only so much energy in a universe it's 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 one isn't it it's zero sum kind of thing and mm. um you know the, you can, people argue uh, we're going into realms that are sort of outside the scope of this podcast but you know when you talk about the beginnings of the universe and many argue well, that's, that's a nonsensical question because before time there wasn't any time therefore the universe has already existed because there was no time therefore there was no (laughs) (laughs) and there is a very strong argument that actually the question should be asked is when did the universe change state from where it was to what it is now that's more an obvious question uh, because the energy has always been there just changed state you know the, the energy cannot be destroyed it simply is changed um but morningstar really sort of uh, investigates that concept as does the outer wilds without spoiling too much but i've heard a lot of good things about yeah. the outer wilds haven't played it myself <laughs> no it's one of my favorite games of all time and uh yeah it does deal with the death of the universe it's set in the death of the universe so i don't really spoil anything there but uh um so yes this is and that's what really attracted me to the morning star because i find this subject fascinating the mere fact yeah. of time not existing, but energy existing, but how can it exist without time? Yeah. Mm. I'm not an astrophysicist, but I do find that concept fascinating. But yeah. I want to. So as you about... go through, oh, yeah, go, on. go ahead. I just wanted to talk about my first design question because you've definitely set up the concept, but I want to talk about how the player interacts with that universe. Indeed. And it seems to be it is a purely touchscreen experience everyone this cannot really be translated to any other platform apart from possibly the switch but we'll talk about that later maybe but that's other than that all it does i mean it, may, it might work with the playstation 5 or 4 because it's got a pad on it as well so that kind of thing but point being the it's you are touching the screen and depending on relative to where you touch the screen you create a momentum everything's about momentum gravity and you swinging around this thing, uh, it, it could be a, the, the remaining star, or I think I take it to be the the star, but um, it, it, it could be it could be something else. But it's basically it's definitely a center of energy of some sort. Um, it is the last it, star. It is, canonically, it is, yeah. canonically it is the, the the last star, the morning star. How have you found? Because this star, you have to plot objects that are flying towards the center of the screen how have you found plotting those objects and that interact with the start of each level how have you found that making sure that the player is suitably engaged and informed about the location and where these objects are making sure they know how to interact with them yeah um through the process of um they're going through the game, I tried very hard to introduce concepts at a reasonable pace to not bore um, the player with things going too slow, but to um, you know introduce things. So 
after you first start out with the asteroids and it's very simple you just uh, need to swing the stars so that they collide and smash um, and then just a few levels later um, you're learning about planets and how you don't want to hit them directly you're more actually kind of wanting to preserve them and but you need to sort of uh, hit them a little bit you nick them with the sort of aura around the star which is hot enough to set them ablaze yeah and that sort of um turn into candles in my mm-hmm. mind and that sort of feeds into the ritual aspect of uh, what's going on um and then next the gas giants that um kind of blow up the things around them very um, useful um so i mainly use tutorials i recently added these sort of um ghostly impressions of a star that mm. sort of sort of show you um give you a better idea of like, how you can um swing the star around in a very flail like manner is the you know um premise is that you're kind of swinging the star around like a flail mm. um like a medieval weapon um hence the name and um is there any was there anything more specific no, that's fine. That's fine. That's, it's really sort of like I find it fascinating how the positioning of the objects is such that it's quite obvious where they come in and the number and the speed. It's really clever how you've managed to make sure that the player isn't too overwhelmed by what's going on, on the screen initially until they start picking up, until they start really start moving the the sun around or the star, mm. I should say. Cause it's not a sun uh, the star uh, around and it's it's swinging about and you're causing it to swing and it, i found every encounter every level you reach that crescendo there's always seems to be a crescendo where everything's kicking off and if you're not careful you could either make a complete hash of it and destroy yourself or or actually pull off something quite remarkable or somewhere in between <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> yeah. yeah i there's definitely um uh, a lot of playtesting that went into that, trying to um, get things just so. And then also um, the trajectories, um, these little kind of lines that um, come off from the side of the screen colored to the object that um, that it corresponds to. Mm. And I, that's part of the just trying to uh, not overwhelm the player with things suddenly appearing on the screen. Because um, yeah, yeah. compared to a TV, it's not a lot of... Um, uh, screen space no no um, you don't have a lot of time to react to things um i want to talk about the different constellations now you spoke about those and they have their own stories and they are quite yeah. profound uh, stories which we'll talk about later but i want to the idea that there seems to be that i don't want to go into two specifics because this shows more about the abstract concept you've come up with but there are Typically, um, at the beginning, certainly the first few constellations, new concepts, new gameplay concepts that are introduced that are that are added to what you, the player already knows. Mm. Um, how have you found designing these new mechanics to make sure they don't undermine the ones they've already been introduced? Well, I, that sort of comes on a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, is- as far as seeing if it really meshes with what came before. Um, I did find that really interesting, uh, sort of building on it um, as you go through each constellation. In fact, there's a point where there's um, a fork in the road of where you can go, one of them being a dead end eventually. Um, And it sort of 
there um there are ice giants which i haven't mentioned that you have to hit multiple times to um to process them correctly yeah and um if you take one route they continue to be um basically the planets um underneath that ice otherwise it's a gas giant underneath that ice and they actually explode and it was sort of interesting to take that gameplay um in two different directions with Mm. it um and make a constellation that um, involved a lot of that um, being technically the uh, serpent's constellation there. Yeah. But it's, it's just really fascinating that they really do, you do a wonderful job of like introducing, like, look, this is how the, the sun, sorry, I can't even call it that, but the star, the morning star, actually moves. And it's relative to where you are and how fast you move your finger across the screen or whatever digit you're using, he says delicately, on your hand. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's it's quite it's quite fascinating how it just ramps up, but not ramps up until the point it becomes stress. It ramps up to more point. It's like this is really interesting. This is a wonderful way of interpreting, you know, gravity and Newtonian physics in its own unique way. It's nowhere near as complicated as that because it's only in two dimensions. I hasten to add, uh, when you when you add that third dimension, well, then then you need calculus because that's what Newton invented. For reasons that are quite obvious, so <laughs> I'm going. I'm just, clearly I know stuff. Um, but um, let's let's move on to the third question then, because mm. the Morning Star relies on a touchscreen interface, as we've spoken about already. Typically, mm. um, what have you done to prevent the player's hand not obscuring what's going on? What what kind of tricks have you had to employ to prevent that from happening? That definitely was a concern early on. Um, just because your finger is um, on the on the device and it's taking up uh, vital screen space as you're moving things around. Uh, partially, it's that in typical gameplay, you're always moving it around. So the finger isn't over one space for too long, ideally. And also, I just design levels um, the way um, that objects come onto the screen. It's typically very rare for them to come up from the bottom which is where your finger will be extending from. And again, through playtesting, um, it just turned out to not be uh, much of an issue. No, I must confess I played it mostly on my iPad, not my phone, although I do have a, a reasonably oh, large... I, I, play, I have a reasonably large iPhone, um, but um, out of 13, I haven't even graded it yet. It's, no, it's 11. I need to make it 13 eventually. I'll do it later on this year. But um, yeah, it's perfectly fine as a screen, but... I thought it would be work better with the iPad, and it does. Um, yeah. So that's why I went with that. And it really does help with that. I mean, also the spectacle of it. I actually projected it onto a TV screen while I was playing it as well because I wanted to see how really? grandiose it comes. And it's really quite impressive how it scales out and because um, it's, quite, it's quite a visual delight. It's, it's lovely because you've got that dark sort of background relief, but then everything else is designed to pop out of the screen except of course the central fugal that's not the right word sorry but the center sort of black the vortex, hole, the yes. vortex that is black upon black and having it on an oled screen is even it's like, they really that really knows that color and uh, really sort of draws everything in and it's just, it's quite it's quite a you know a spectacle so yeah well done with that I really appreciate that. That's cool. I hadn't ever considered um, casting it to a TV before. Yeah, yeah. So most TVs have. So you were actually you were in, inputting it onto your device, like the yeah, iPad yeah, I was playing it on the it. iPad, but then 
that was up on the screen as well. So it's just a it's quite it's quite oh. a fascinating thing, and it kind of almost immune to the the, the, the hand over the thing because it's just been projected. I thought it'd be oh, yeah. a bit of fun. I like doing that with mobile phone games. See what happens, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it really doesn't, but <laughs> depends <laughs> on the game. So I'm going to ask the last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but here we are, including the universe. Into the, well, including, well, is it the end? I don't know. It's just resetting, isn't it? Really, but <laughs> it's our universe. There you go. But our reality. But then you know, moves on to the next one. Um, there's a there's a really profound story running through the Morning Star. It really is. How did it come about, and did it alter? in any way as you were designing the game or is it the other way around? Yeah, the um, the very first uh, sort of ideas about the game, um, they were actually, it didn't, wasn't going to have much of any text at all. I had imagined it as uh, more of uh, animations playing. Come to find out, not so great at animations, much better at that creative writing. So um, that was a great um, change of... Um, a transition there that I uh, went with the story, and I, of course, um, in, into science fiction, and so, and I had so many ideas that that's where the sort of anthology uh, nature of the whole story came together, where it's this, these connected stories that you play throughout. And I, my sort of tagline for the game is an existential action game, and so I just wanted to write about you know what it means to be so you wanted to write about really from what i gather the concept of witnessing the end and the beginning of the universe and how one would feel about that and how one could if they could help it's help that happening help that encourage that occurrence because in order for something to be born something has to be destroyed is well, that right partially um and you've um, seen the whole story throughout. I didn't. I don't really want to spoil no, the entire no, thing. No. Um, but uh, a big inspiration for it, I would say, is um, my mindfulness practice and um, the sort of the idea that the self is an illusion uh, is this uh, kind of profound insight that um, really you can kind of see for yourself um, if you have enough, if you do enough introspection. The, specifically the idea that we're up here in our heads um, sort of piloting these bodies and that we're, um, that we're uh, basically separate from the rest of the universe and sort of one of the main themes of the Morning Star is that we're not, we're truly not separate from every, everything else and everyone else. We're yeah. all sort of a part of the same thing and we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Carl Sagan's sort of uh, famous quote of we are but stardust is difficult to actually comprehend and it doesn't really make a lot of sense until you really understand when you say things like yes energy cannot be destroyed it can only be changed again that still doesn't make a lot of sense to people like I can't relate to that I don't know what you mean by that how can you not I see things being set on fire and reduced to dust and you say well that's still energy it's just changed state but again they, it's really hard to Thinking on those abstract terms, the terms are difficult to, to stomach. Uh, and I do think in The Morning Star, you do a wonderful job of communicating that, an idea that actually you know, we're all part of the same thing. That's the point. 
everything we do has an impact on others, whether we like it or not, whether it's slight or profound or, you know, obvious. Um, but yeah, we've definitely used the P word throughout this podcast, everyone. P- profound, that is, because that is the morning star. It is. Uh, and this is why I had Ben on. So the morning star, as you said, in relation to morning is in not morning, the beginning of the day, but you know, uh, as in something passing. It's developed by uh, Ben Russell. Thank you, Ben. And could you tell us what platforms it's currently available on? It's currently on um, Google Play for Android devices and the Apple App Store for iOS. Indeed it is. And that's what the platform I played it on. Ben, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Chris, thank you for having me on. It's been really good. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you did too. Um, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever next you're working on. So you've already hinted at some things. So, you know, Elden Rings drag you away from it. But uh, it, uh, it will be fascinating to what it is. It's probably a new take on FIFA or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but <laughs> something very safe. Yep. Yeah, it's sci fi FIFA. There you go. There you go. Because you said that earlier. But um, I jest, of course. But. Uh, but you're more than welcome to come back to chat about what that is, whatever it may be, because we we be here. We 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 will be here because we've been here for nine years now, and <laughs> we go to any nine. Any entropy yeah. hasn't gotten us yet. No, no, indeed. So, um, yeah. Until then, thank you very much, Ben. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Yeah. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com.